2: and welcome back to Mads World. I'm your host Mads and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. If you have, please remember to subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your favourite listening platform and follow the show on Instagram, it's at madsworld.mp3. With more and more people choosing to explore polyamorous relationships and non-monogamy, it's no wonder people are so fascinated to learn more about them, the benefits and how they function. This week, I'm joined by Claire from Polypages, a platform that advocates the inclusion of non-monogamous and alternative relationship strategies in social research and public policy. The platform began as a podcast back in 2018 and has grown into one that hosts resources, publications and ongoing studies which facilitate the inclusion of polyamory. Up next, we discuss the different types of poly relationships and identities, meeting like minded people, the importance of honest conversations, approaching jealousy, and determining equality. Hi Claire, how are you? I'm great.
3: I'm so excited to be here.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on the podcast and to be chatting about something that is just so fascinating and something that my listeners have reached out and asked me about in the past as well. So let's jump into our speed date question rounds. So everyone can learn a bit more about you. So can you tell me some more about Polly Pages and the work that you do here?
3: So Polly Pages started in 2018 as a itty really bitty podcast um, about the texts that have shaped polyamorous community and culture. Mm -hmm. So we were reading uh, books, articles and essays and then adding input. Um, In the last year though, Polypages has grown to be uh, a global platform about non-monogamous literature and academic research. So we have a research hub, we have a book club, we run events, we're part of uh, the largest digital showcase in the UK and Ireland for polyamory and non-monogamy, which is called Polyamory Day. Um wow. And what I do behind all of that is uh, basically dream up amazing things and then collaborate with amazing people to make them happen. Like The whole Polypages platform is me just being <laughs> like, wouldn't this be great? And someone else being like, I want to do that too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that's really cool i think um working in this sort of field it is nice to connect with like-minded people isn't it i think just like extending out your community and meeting new people is one of the best things about doing podcasting and doing something like poly pages
3: 100 yeah
2: yeah my next question is what do you feel most grateful for right now
3: i think during this these unprecedented times I'm uh, feeling really grateful that all my family is still here, that all my friends yep. are still here. And we've had like a couple of brushes with with the, the, the flu that shall not be named and we are, <laughs> we're all fine. So I'm really grateful for that. And every time I'm having a bad day, I try and remember that because I feel like that's never been more relevant and never been more important.
2: Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. I think one good thing to come out of all this shit is just... <laughs> realizing what you have around you and like the friendships you have around you and the relationships you have around you and how much those have grown and thrived in the pandemic. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. What is the best advice you've ever received? You know, I was
3: like not sure what the answer to this question would be, but I have to say I think it's my aunt. Right when I was uh, about, how old was I? I was about 17, maybe maybe even younger, and I was like, I'm not going to go to university that seems like Mm -hmm. a waste of my time I want to go and like get a job (laughs) and see the world and my aunt sat me down and was like you can do whatever you want but education is never a bad investment like Mm. if you don't know what to do if you don't know who you are invest that time into some some form of education it doesn't have to be going to university but like some form of skills building learning a language learning a skill because you will never ever have wasted that time and every single mm-hmm. time in my life, I've come to a point where I wasn't sure what to do next, like in my personal, professional, any anything. I just learned something new, something completely different from what's going on in my head. And every single time, if I didn't, if I didn't learn more about myself, then I learned more about what I should be doing. Um, and I think that has been like foundational to the way that my entire, like all my relationships, yeah. all of my work has, has panned out is just remembering that this is the the best use of your time.
2: I love that so much. I think even sometimes when you're feeling a bit unmotivated, just doing something like reading a book, like a nonfiction book, and you're just opening your mind a bit and learning something different or learning to see something from somebody else's perspective, it really does change everything. So, yeah, that's really cool. I I was going to say for this question for me, I recently read Nora Ephron's book, I Feel Bad About My Neck, and there's something she says in there that is – so interesting and it's not as profound as like education or anything like that but um the the quote is if you slip on a banana peel everyone laughs at you but if you tell people you slipped on a banana peel everyone laughs with you so it's about harnessing those embarrassing experiences or those experiences that you're ashamed of and sort of making something of them and i think that's so that speaks so well for this podcast just because most of everything I say and do on here is based on some either horrible or funny or weird experience I've had so yeah I think that was just really cool advice it's like try not to let embarrassing experiences get you down and just see the fun side you know
3: 100% I have literally like never like I'm not easily embarrassed um, yeah, and so sometimes I will come out with with embarrassing things that happen to people. Are like that's that's all, like that's really bad. That's really shameful. And I'm like, no, it's not hilarious. What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> um, do you believe that people can change?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've changed so much. If I met me when I was 20, right, I'd be like, oh, you're completely different. Like you believed you were straight. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I think people and I no, I don't just believe that people change I think that's kind of the point right the point yep. is to change the whole point of life is that you should always be changing and growing and challenging yourself like that's the point of us now living up to like 100 years old right we have three times the lifespan of, of back in the day when we were up at dawn and tilling fields um and now we can like use all of that time to pack in as much like Information and change that we can. So, not only do I believe people can change, I think that it's like a good thing, and I really embrace that.
2: I think that speaks to your um, desire to keep educating yourself as well.
3: Oh, yeah, you're right. I never thought about those things as being. <laughs> <nice> <laughs>
2: This is why this round's this round is fun because you learn stuff about yourself. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm gonna come out with in, in these questions, but it's fun to find out. And my last question is, which is one that we do every week on this podcast, is tell me your funniest date story.
3: So I think I need to tell a story of a date that never happens. Um, okay. Basically I was um I started dating somebody this is very relatively recently right I started dating somebody and uh turns out we had gone to the same school which is always a bit weird because he remembered me and I had no idea who he was and um god I know um (laughs) (laughs) um, but we were really clicking like the humor was really free-flowing which is so important to me and we were like chatting and you know having um having drinks and stuff like that and after the first date um we kept talking and I was I'm I'm a huge um when I was younger I was a huge emo right it was like <laughs> yeah which is great now because now it's come back into yeah. fashion I don't have to to have even the smallest amount of shame about it but like I was a proper yes. little emo kid.
2: Did you like Travis Barker for who he really was not because he's with Courtney <laughs> <That'd be laughs>
3: Kardashian? I would be like literally going to like my private school and being like yes. oh my life is so hard like it was ridiculous. <laughs> so, so privileged i know it's the <laughs> privilege indeed and i was yeah. like uh, i i to i i get it because like when you're when you're a teenager you're feeling everything for the first time but i look back mm. and i was like this was incredibly cringeworthy but my music taste hasn't changed since then really like i obviously i like new stuff but like my heart and soul belongs to to the bands i was listening to when i first discovered and like made, made my emo music genre playlist on my like ipod I I used to absolutely love Placebo. Um, I don't yep. know if you know who they are, but yeah, um, running up that hill. Ah, such a good band. June. Such a great cover. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I was on Instagram, and Instagram got me good. They were they were like, oh, Placebos in town, and I was like, oh, you know, you know that I've just met someone who was in the same place as me like at at the same time as me going through the same emo-ness as me and so I I was like I can't think of anyone else in my life who would even know who this is because I have so many like international friends I think this is like the only person that's born and raised in the same place as me that I've ever dated in my entire life so I messaged him and I was like oh there's a concert in like a month I think it'd be like a really random like second date let's do it and he was like absolutely he bought tickets and everything I was excited he was excited and then like the day before he's like, I don't know how I missed this, but this is for this date next year.
2: <laughs> so your date was
3: <laughs> pushed back by just a, a mere year. Right. So now we have like a second date in like nine months time and that's really weird. Did you go on it? <laughs> well, it hasn't happened yet. Wait, it's still it's still waiting. <laughs> it's still <No>. waiting. <laughs> Oh my God.
2: Is it going to happen? Do you think it's on the cards?
3: I mean, can you imagine what a great story that would be if the relationship (laughs) went long term?
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing. I always love doing that round. And I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because of all of the work you do with polyamorous relationships and just driving awareness to these different diverse types of relationships. So I thought uh, we could go through some questions that everyone out there listening has sent me through Instagram as well as a couple of my own, because you are obviously a little bit of an expert. So are there different types of polyamorous relationships and what would those types be?
3: Yeah. So the, this is a great question to to begin with, because I think that there there is a way to answer this, which is just giving a list of different types of formulations of different mu- amounts of people, right? Like triad, quad, blah, blah, blah. But I think Maybe a better way to approach it is to ask uh, the reason for somebody being polyamorous um, because there is two definitions of polyamory. There's one which is about the type of relationship you're in and there's also one that's about an identity so people can identify as polyamorous the way that they identify as like bisexual or whatever. Okay. So one is the practice of creating multiple concurrent intimate relationships so you have more than one partner at the same time. That's a relationship practice. Um, And the other one is someone who has the capacity to love more than one person at the same time, which is what I am. And I like to use that one because it's like I'm polyamorous, even if I'm single. Right. It's, it's a bit like being bisexual. Yeah. I don't become not bisexual if I'm dating a man. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't like start dating women and be like, OK, yeah, I guess I'm not bi anymore. Um, I'm still that thing. I'm just may or may not be in a relationship that fully reflects that.
2: Okay and and how did you sort of discover that you were polyamorous how do you how did you discover that that was part of your identity and not something that you just felt with another person in that particular relationship
3: So because of my work I was traveling so often that monogamy was like ridiculous to ask of people right like I was I was working I still work in the humanitarian aid sector now I'm a little bit more grounded in one place but in the beginning of that career I was moving around like so regularly, that it just seemed really unfair to ask somebody to be, you know, um, sexually monogamous with me. Uh, And also for me to be sexually monogamous, because like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this, like, middle of nowhere, or like, I don't know how long I'm going to be somewhere or, um, or what I'm going to go through, or who's going to be there. So it kind of like came from from that, like the the model of distance allowed us to renegotiate whether or not monogamy be something that well, allow me to renegotiate whether or not monogamy was something that I really needed. Um, And we actually did a really great webcast recently about that intersection between long distance and polyamorous relationships, um, which is available on the Mm. website, because I feel like this is a common entry point for people to start toying with the, the preset that monogamy gives us.
2: Apart from long distance, what else might motivate people to have an open relationship?
3: There are... Basically, as many reasons under the sun as I'm sure there are people that are polyamorous. But I think it's it's a question of, of what works for you and what's safe and comfortable for you to do. So if you are somebody that identifies as polyamorous, like it can feel very constricting to be asked to be monogamous. And then you're probably going to interpret that as like shame or like guilt or that there's something wrong with you. You probably won't sit there and be like, oh, maybe the model of the relationship that I'm using is not right for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also other reasons that people might choose to open like a relationship or to uh, might choose to uh, have multiple concurrent relationships that, that are coming from a place of identity. Right. Um, and that could be things yeah. like, why? <laughs> why monogamy? Once you ask that question, <laughs> it's like, well, well yeah, yeah, why can't we have other people in our life, like, there is a lot that goes into that. There's a lot more support that you can get. There's a lot more insight you can get. There's a lot more experiences you can have. Some people do mm. it purely as, like, a sexual thing, like kink play or, like, going to parties. Um, other people really want to split up their, their, their support networks so they have more support for, like, different types of things that they're doing. Um, we don't necessarily have to think about people as being, like, this is everything and you have to be everything for me. Um, once you start being like, is that is that working for me really? I think a lot of people are like, oh, I can I can have somebody that uh, that you know, I'm I'm doing this with and then have someone else that could fulfill other, other parts and other other needs for me and things like that.
2: It is interesting that monogamy is considered the default, isn't it? And you just wonder how that how that sort of began and how that how that has changed over time you know why is monogamy considered the default and yeah it's just interesting to explore the alternative isn't it
0: I
3: mean monogamy is, is a relatively like recent historical thing right mm. like mm-hmm. uh, i it's strange to me that we assume that monogamy is like the quote-unquote natural state of being or like
2: yeah. that it's
3: been around for a really long time when really it's been around for like since since the industrial revolution probably like that's about it. It's not Mm -hmm. that long. Um, Really? Yeah. And I have, I have all of these, like uh, I've done some amazing, because obviously polypages is an academic uh, non-monogamous platform. I do a lot of reading around the subject and it feels to me very much like the, the normalization of monogamy seems from where I'm sitting as a feminist as something that's really linked to like the way that the nuclear family needs to exist in order to support the quote unquote productive man in the industrial Era
2: as someone who's not polyamorous, this is coming from someone who is usually monogamous. I would have considered that monogamy was always the the default, and then polyamory was new. But maybe it's completely different to that. Is that what you're saying? There's that before the industrial revolution, polyamory was considered more normal.
3: Yeah, I mean obviously the word polyamory is very new. It's been around since 1990 Mm. when it was coined by uh, Janet hardy and Josie eastern whose name i've only recently been able to say without an american accent Um, (laughs) (laughs) but um when you look at like indigenous populations around the world there's always Mm. been the 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 rigorous monogamy that we we now think of as a norm is is Mm. about as commonplace as like a binary gender that we think of as like a norm like both of these are things that are so normal now we
1: can't possibly Mm -hmm. fathom that that wouldn't be the standard
3: but when we have a look at anthropologically and ethno- ethnographically ethnographically a word i apparently can't say uh <laughs> there, are, there are plenty <laughs> of indigenous um and and like pre-colonial ways of managing homesteads and family and tribal ties that were just like completely decimated and it was like a weaponized monogamy that did that so kim dr kim Talbert does a a great uh, essay series on that and is considered like the go-to to to read about that particular stance on it but yeah I I definitely don't think that monogamy is like the the natural state of being I think it's something that's just been so conditioned into us now in a sort of like modern era that we think of it as being uh, the if not the normal then the best and I guess we don't need to know what the normal is, right? Like what's normal for one person is not normal for another person. That's fine.
2: And it's more socially constructed than it is natural, which is, yeah, really interesting to explore. How could someone who is interested in polyamory or identifies as a polyamorous person, how can they meet like-minded people? Because obviously when something is a social norm or a social construct, it's difficult to have those and begin those conversations with, with other people, you know, in the fear that you might be considered strange or different or you know people might be put off by a polyamorous relationship how could you meet like-minded people how do you meet like-minded
3: people I mean I started a podcast where I wouldn't stop speaking about poly- polyamory and everyone just came out of work <laughs> <laughs> but um obviously like I have the I, it's it's probably worth saying like, I have a huge amount of privilege in that I can be out for some people it's just mm-hmm. not safe it's just not it's just not feasible to be out in these sorts of things. So for those mm-hmm. people and, and for anyone else that's feeling a little bit apprehensive, I would say you could start by going to events. That sounds terrifying, mm-hmm. but bear in mind that a lot of events are online nowadays. Um, mm. A lot of events you just need to join with a microphone or, or with your laptop and and you can get involved on things like Clubhouse where it, you can be completely anonymous. Uh, Polypages runs uh, panel events. There's There are online Uh, conferences or online uh summits that the people run uh choose choose a good one that you think really would resonate and and then go um then when you're feeling a bit more comfortable especially if you um don't live in a big city so there's going to be a cost but like uh, you know when, when you're beginning to feel like this would be a good value for your money uh travel to a local meetup um they are available like if you search uh i don't use facebook but i've been told that on facebook there's lots of um these polyamorous groups you can also use meetup Mm -hmm. I mean we we live in such a connected world um
2: yeah it's so true but
3: obviously that sounds terrifying and I I get that so I think really what I can say is like coming out gets less scary the more you do it
2: Mm. so would you would you compare coming out as a polyamorous person um similar to coming out with your sexuality
3: oh good question yeah
2: yeah would you consider polyamory as a sexuality is that or is it more like an identity
3: yeah I wouldn't say it's sexuality for me um I would say because you know it's, it's not necessarily about sex the way that that mm. I practice my my polyamory no shade if it is like um I'm not one of these polyamorous people that's like please it's not all about sex everyone calm down I'm like <laughs> yeah sometimes it is and that's absolutely <laughs> great yeah um, <laughs> But I do think that it's, it's an identity for me in that it's the way that I intuitively understand how people relate. Like I've never been the the Mm. person that had just one crush. I was always the person that had multiple crushes. and was like, I do not understand why, like, I don't understand why you're getting jealous. Like this feels like a very alien concept. I don't understand why we wouldn't have, have an extra person if, if like, why would you be everything in my life? Like that seems so totally absurd. So it's yeah. very natural for me to think about to think about it in this way. Um, when it came to coming out, um, I think that it is actually in some ways worse because there is a model for coming out. There are socially acceptable scripts that people can use to come out um, about their sexuality or about their gender identity. But we still don't really understand how how to navigate that discussion when it comes to something like a relationship practice or or an identity in this way um and because of that it's like you don't really know how to do it
2: yeah there's no like there's no structure to it
3: yeah like we end up falling back on the models of uh of coming out when it's like if you are gay or or whatever um but that's Mm -hmm. actually not the same it's not the same conversation so one of the things that I started like I saw this in my partners as well when they would have to tell someone that that they've just met like I I really want to date you but I need to tell you like I'm polyamorous in, in it, mm-hmm. it you know it didn't didn't go well right because the first couple of times you do this mm-hmm. is that you're gonna you're gonna mess it up um but the more the more that he did this the more he was like oh the rejection's actually like not that bad um, and again mm-hmm. coming from a place of privilege right this is like I'm, I'm not a f- I'm not in fear of violence I'm, which some people are like some people mm-hmm. get violent recrimination for coming out that being polyamorous uh, some people come leave mm-hmm. their like kids their house their family everything. Mm. but for me it's it's just like the the more the more you do it the less scary it becomes to so, so start with something super low stakes so if you're looking to to, be, to practice that go to a grocery store on the other side of town and then casually at the checkout mention that you have multiple partners like to be like oh yeah this is for my girlfriend and my girlfriend's girlfriend and then just the, it, then the the lid is tapped do you know what i mean
2: yeah completely and In keeping with the theme of um, queer relationships and poly relationships, do you think there are differences in the way that straight people practice polyamory versus the way that polyamorous relationships are approached in the LGBT community? Oh, that's such a great question.
3: Because here's the thing, right, like there is an ongoing discussion about whether polyamorous should be part of the LGBTQIA thing because mm. you're not more, like being polyamorous does not make you queer in any way, right? You could be a man dating a woman and she she dates another man and you date another woman and no mm. one's into dating. There's no, there's no mixed play or anything like that it can be very straight, right? Mm. But it can also be incredibly queer. You can take the polyamory to the max and be like, you know what, I'm completely... Uh, breaking down the the socially constructed barriers between what a friend is meant to be and what a life partner is meant to be and what a lover is meant to be, mm-hmm. and I'm going to start having sex with my friends and I'm going to raise a kid with the people I'm cohabiting with who I'm like have a f- financial business investment with and we are going to live in a massive commune. Like you can take this to a place that is incredibly queer in the way that it it, it refuses to be homogenized, which is obviously what, what queer actually means. Um, yeah. So I, I constantly am in this discussion, and and I often say like my polyamory is very queer because I use it as a way to deconstruct a lot of norms. Like I'm very romantic with my friends. I have sexual relationships with my friends. I, I have. I don't think that a life partner is going to be someone that's romantic. And I'm gay as hell. Like I have like loads of queer. <laughs> I have loads of uh, of you know relationships that aren't with this man. So. So for me, it's really easy to be like, I can I can use that label, but I think it just being polyamorous doesn't feel like it's very safe for you to, like it doesn't feel fair for like a a couple of straight mm-hmm. people who happen to be opening their relationship to suddenly want to use the, the labels of queer and LGBTQIA and to demand access to those spaces, right? But then again, I, I don't think I've actually met many people that are that that couple, <laughs> right? Like yeah. a lot of people that that are straight and they're opening up their cishet relationship for the first time they're not I don't think I've ever met one that was like well now I demand to be part of the queer community like that just doesn't yeah it's a bit of a straw man argument (laughs)
2: And I wonder if having like, you know, not being a cis-het couple or a heteronormative couple and having that gateway to new ways of like thinking and everything kind of opens people up to the idea of polyamory. Whereas like, you know, straight relationships that are completely straight, like they're not willing to even consider the fact that they might be gay, maybe they'd be more closed off to something like polyamory just because they're not used to exploring different sides of their sexuality.
3: Yeah, maybe. Um, I think that the people that I have been with that when they've come to, to telling people that they're polyamorous the the thing that has still been the thing that held them back was that if they admit they're polyamorous it will kind of sound like they're admitting they're bisexual and if they're a cis man yeah I've had several either metamors or partners who are cis men who are like I can't be open about this because uh people assume that I'm also bi or that I do stuff with other men or that I'm somehow less of a man uh just Mm. by virtue of like quote unquote sharing my woman which is obviously okay God, yeah yeah okay caveman like no <laughs> <laughs> you can't share me I'm not an object but it it is yeah. like wrapped into this whole like um toxic masculinity culture is 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 very firmly rooted in monogamy and like ideas of what monogamy is so I yeah maybe you're right like when people are going to go out like into this space where you begin to question that, then you might be more likely to question a bunch of other things. Um, mm. But I don't necessarily think that everyone does that, right? Like I've also dated cis, cis men who are completely straight and they uh, they are polyamorous, but they're not really interested in doing anything with with other uh, with other cis yeah. men. So I can completely see how how rooted the idea of like a a good man I have to say in this like you know like I'm doing like an axe product commercial I'm punching the air right now and yeah uh like that kind of like I'm a manly man like I can I think that that's really rooted in in a, a type of performative monogamy that's really like interesting and and quite funny and once you take that away I'm wondering like if that what that person would be like
2: and it's probably interesting to think as well, like in a in a closed, you know, straight relationship, I'd say like a guy going out and cheating on his missus and, you know, shagging loads of girls and all this sort of thing, he would feel... Very masculine, traditionally doing that, or like, you know, you know, bigging it up to the boys at the pub, like, look at all this stuff that I'm accomplishing, blah, blah, blah. But then as soon as it opens up and his partner is going out and acting in the same way, he would suddenly feel emasculated because, yeah, like, suddenly something that is considered, like we were saying before, you know, his property is being shared. It's just so so interesting how fragile masculinity can be in that sense when he's doing all of those things and, you know, going out and cheating on on his partner. And then, yeah, once once equality is determined in that relationship and there's rules in place, it can be considered emasculating. Yeah. Do you know what
3: I'm trying to say? A hundred percent. And, like, when I'm dating, I'll be like, just so you know, like, I'm not really interested in monogamy. And, um, like, sometimes the guys will be like, oh, okay, well, like, I want this. I'm like, okay, but you, were you – do you actually want this or do you just want me yeah. to uh, quote unquote like commit and like you to have the power but like it's almost like once you you are like oh no I'm fine with that it's it really takes a wind out of the sails that like oh mm-hmm. okay and and more often than not we, we don't continue dating because it's just like you need to go away and work out why tricking me is so important to you because that's like that's essentially what that is right it's that like I can somehow get away with something and once you say yeah. no I'm fine like that's great actually why don't you invite her for dinner she sounds great then it's like oh okay <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um yeah. suddenly I don't want to do this anymore it's like okay well you should probably figure out why the power over me is more important than me being honest with you Just like very weird yeah
2: how do you think this is such a deep question, but in terms of power dynamics in polyamorous relationships, how do you determine equality here? Because, yeah, I did an episode about BDSM relationships and sub-DOM, sub-dom relationships and the power dynamic there and how it's sort of predetermined and agreed to. But, yeah, how do you think the power dynamic works in, a, in an open
3: relationship? Oh, how long you got?
2: <laughs> oh, it's such a it's such a hard question but I'm just it's so fascinating the
3: thing is that it's like do you can you can do this as many ways as, as you can imagine it and like and mm-hmm. kind of like the beauty of this is that there is no preset um you're going in and you are building from ground up the relationship that works for you it's completely customizable like in kink people say kink is customizable everything mm-hmm. is customizable everything yeah so if you want to come in and you want to be like okay and, and it's also allowed to change I think this is also really important is that like just mm. because you start a relationship one way doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be forever even in a kink relationship right like so true so when I approach things I'm like this is what I'm looking for now where I think I'm going to be in three months like it's it's super like I, I don't want you to expect everything at once um, and then later be be upset. I also don't want to offer mm-hmm. you loads of loads of um submission or like power, like whatever, which I'm not gonna be able to maintain. Mm-hmm. Without you at least knowing that could change. And there are plenty of great mm-hmm. reasons why people open their relationship. And part of that is that they just have the time. They just have the temporary time before they move, or maybe they've just moved, or maybe their their um their wife has like decided to to go back to school and it's like super super busy and they've had a conversation and then like her wife's going to go out and like be able to to use some of the free time to like experiment like there's so many different ways that you could do this that are very dynamic that it's it's almost like redundant to be like this is how the power is having said that we have to be aware of privilege in all of these situations because privilege and power are, are like hand in hand like mm-hmm. creepy you know there's like creepy uh children from the shining
2: yeah they're like that yeah, the dress is on in the blood <laughs> yeah
3: and um they're so scary it's so terrifying <laughs> just like power <laughs> <laughs> and um in in our society obviously we're aware that if you're white you have a certain amount of privilege it doesn't you know, you didn't have to like, do anything to earn it. It's just there. And you you live, you operate with that privilege. And the same it happens if you are cisgendered. And the same happens if you are in a straight presenting relationship. You're just not going to face barriers and obstacles that people that don't have that privilege will. And one of these things is couples privilege, which I don't think there is mm. a lot of literacy about. So I'm going to just quickly go over what it is. In a mononormative culture, a culture in which monogamous, like, monogamous relationships are the norm, We privilege those types of relationships in a bunch of different ways, including financial and social value. We have conditioned people, even people that aren't in monogamous relationships, to assume that a lifelong monogamous romantic relationship is the only option and is the most valuable option. And everything is judged according to that value structure. Because of that, if you were in one of those, if you were in a long term monogamous presenting relationship, if you were in a, a relationship, even if you open it, the existing couple has a certain amount of unearned privilege that you can't just be like, oh, we just don't, we just don't do that. That's like me being white and being like, oh, I just don't have white privilege. No, you have it because yeah. of because of the virtue by which you are in this social position, by the power that you hold in that. So I think it's really important that when people are thinking about, uh, especially if you're thinking about opening a relationship, you have to be aware of all of the privilege that you are bringing into those spaces when you're engaging with other people because it's going to really affect those people. And those people are usually me because I'm always the person, (laughs) I'm always the third. (laughs) So please stop doing that because it's like really, really hurtful. Really
2: hard. Yeah, it doesn't seem fair. Now that we've sort of covered, you know, the overarching societal way of looking at a polyamorous relationship, I want to get into like the nitty gritty of how a poly relationship actually functions. And some of the main themes that came out of the questions people were asking me were obviously things like jealousy and honest conversations. So how do you approach jealousy in a poly relationship? And is there a way of avoiding it? Or is it just a matter of Feeling it and sitting with it and dealing with it that way.
3: Yeah, that's a really, I think, probably one of the most common questions that that people have yeah. about about polyamory because jealousy feels terrifying, right? Like, yes. je- jealousy <laughs> feels like first of all, your partner is a terrible person if you feel jealous, and secondly, a good relationship mm. is that you never feel jealous because you've got the best person, and so why would you ever mm. be jealous of someone else's person? Um, it's all like wrapped into these ideas of like ownership and and um, navigating with your partner to avoid emotions. But if you really draw it back, jealousy is just an emotion. It doesn't feel good. Fine. But you know what else? I don't like feeling sad. I don't like feeling angry. I understand that they function as part of my emotional wheelhouse for purposes, right? If I'm angry, there's mm-hmm. a reason I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, if I'm sad, there's a reason I'm sad. If I'm jealous, this can also be a really important flag for me to communicate with myself about like, what what is sustainance actually uh, making me feel this way? And instead of structuring mm. my entire life to avoid anger, which would be ridiculous, um, yeah. I can deal. I can develop ways of coping with it that are healthy. I can make sure that I don't lash out in anger. I don't, I don't act out in anger. And it's the same for jealousy. Instead of mm. structuring my entire, not only mine but someone else's entire life, so I don't have to feel this slightly uncomfortable emotion, I can operate from a place of like, okay, this is just. I'm gonna. I'm an adult. I'm gonna feel this sometimes. How am I gonna? How am I gonna use that as proactively as possible, as constructively as possible? Mm -hmm. So I approach jealousy as kind of like a little uh, signal in my sort of autonomous system, being like, "Hey, something's happened here that feels uncomfortable," and like I'm waving a flag at you, right? Just like, "Oh, I'm feeling Mm -hmm. really sad. Maybe I shouldn't be in this situation." You know, like if you if you feel sad about something, you're like, "Okay, maybe this isn't." how I want to feel every day. So you can like wave that little flag and then take a step back and think about why you're feeling that. The key thing here is you don't act out of it.
2: Obviously addressing that internally is really powerful. And I think you can learn a lot about yourself in doing that, but what are the best ways to approach that with a partner when you are feeling those things?
3: I would uh, functionally, I would operate from a place of using I statements. So I feel this, I feel X, I feel Y. um, And I feel jealous is not helpful, right? That's about as helpful Mm. as like, I feel angry. It's like, okay, well, why? But why? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So saying things like, um, I feel like I'm missing out on time with you Mm -hmm. when you spend Mm -hmm. lots of time doing stuff that I like to do out of the house with someone else. And that's, that is more helpful, right? Because the goal there is not to stop them from doing something else out of the house of someone else, let's say. Mm-hmm. The goal there is to address the emotional need that is not being met and to see if, mm-hmm. if there is a way that you can navigate that without, without bumping up in, into those feelings or a way that you can handle those feelings yourself, because it's, it's not your partner's possibility, yeah. as I say, to navigate their whole life so that you don't feel jealous. That's not, that's never going to work. You know, Mm. if that worked, people that are in monogamous relationships wouldn't get jealous and they
2: do. And I guess this leads into my next question about setting rules in a poly relationship. So if, you know, obviously as you said earlier, things can always change and if you are feeling a certain way, you can discuss this with your partner and and then, you know, come to a resolution or come to, you know, a way of moving forward that is beneficial for you both. But do you think it's important to set rules from the outset that to determine, you know, what is fair in a relationship and to ma- maintain equality between both? partners or you know multiple partners
3: i think this is a common tool that people use when they're starting out is they they like to make a bunch of rules for each other and they hope mm-hmm. that this will somehow protect them and um mm. it doesn't like it just yeah. doesn't it just doesn't work um the moment you're creating a rule which is something that you're going to be using to control someone else first of all the more rules you have the more likely you are to just end up in a conflict right it's, yeah it, and you cannot like you have just started doing this, like there is no way that you can know all of the ways that you're gonna fuck up. Like it's just like it's <laughs> not gonna happen. But also, the only people that can really uh, consent to those rules are the two of you. And if you're going to be having other relationships, you can't go into those relationships and be like, just so you know, I have these rules that I need to make you um, that I need to make you do as well because I've already decided with my partner. You can't do that. That's just that's yeah. Bad to do that to anybody right can you imagine doing that to someone else like no you wouldn't go into a friendship Mm -hmm. and be like just so you know I have a rule with my other friend that we can't go to the cinema (laughs) together it's like okay (laughs) probably not gonna be your friend because it's really weird yeah (laughs) so rules are I I understand Um, their attraction especially if you're new and like you're terrified your relationship will change but guess what the relationship's going to change and the rules are just going to make it worse. I would, I actually would say that if you are still relying on rules, like Mm -hmm. veto power, like rules around what you can and can't do, like really strict, like stringent rules around who you can date and like what order you have to do things in. If you still have those, don't date, go back, work on the relationship, work on yourselves and come to the dating pool when you have when you feel like you no longer need to control your partner because that's the only way to do this, in, in my opinion.
2: And then speaking about control, I guess that this links to honesty as well and having open conversations. So how important are is honesty in a poly relationship and is there anything that you would never
3: disclose to a partner? I think honesty is important in every relationship. I think honesty starts also with yourself. Like if you're not being honest about yourself, if you if you don't know what you want and who you are, you can't mm-hmm. you can't be honest about it with your partners. And I think that gets missed when we talk about honest discussions. We we assume that honest discussions have to be with somebody else and we forget that they start with ourselves and being honest to oneself.
2: And in the in the realm of honesty, would you ever introduce partners, you know, like multiple partners in poly relationships? Or is that sort of not how it functions? Or I guess it's just everybody's so different, it can be could be
3: either way. Uh, yeah, if that's what everyone wanted. I think like this is a very common desire is that like we'll date either the same people or we'll date, um, or we'll date people that get along and we can all like kind of hang out together. There's a name for that. It's called kitchen table polyamory, but that's just one way of doing it. The other way of doing that is that you keep these people parallel. I personally have had relationships where, um, the people have been Very distant, as in geographically, they've been in different countries, and I've also had relationships where they don't speak the same language. So, obviously, it'd be functionally impossible for me to be like, Let's (laughs) all gather together around the kitchen table. Um, (laughs) yeah, but yeah, like starting like operating from a place of honesty with that is like, if you know that that's something that you really, really want, um, you should probably lead with that when you're starting to have those relationship discussions. You know, like third, fourth date, maybe you guys have like slept together, you guys definitely have chemistry, and then you're like, Okay. I would like to talk more about my relationship setup. As you know, I have other partners. I would like you to one day be able to meet them and actually be cordial and civil with them, maybe even get along with them. Um, Is that an expectation that you feel is fair? And that person can then be like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with the other partners. I'm dating you. Um, And I'm just like, I wouldn't want you to necessarily have to meet my other partners and that's also, like, both of these news are totally fair. As long as it's coming from a place of, of radical self, self-honesty self and then having, like, an honest discussion with one another, then there really isn't, a, like, a playbook that you have to do this one way or the other.
2: Something that I've learned from our chat is that there is more independence and, you know, sitting in your feelings and realising and challenging the way, the reasons that you feel the way that you do in a poly relationship, which I think is fascinating, considering from an outsider's perspective you sort of think – I just think, my God, that sounds exhausting having to like, you know, communicate with so many different people all the time. But I think there is this element of independence that is really fascinating and really empowering. Yeah,
3: I definitely think that people people commonly comment on how much uh, emotional literacy work they have to do with themselves in order to manage multiple mm. relationships, which if you think about it makes sense because you're having, like relationships are uh, a function of of like human human existence, right? That take up a lot of our like emotional, like it's kind of the point of being emotional literate is to be able to have relationships. So it yeah. is like a really commonly communicated thing to me that like, wow, I just I never thought that I would have to become like a communications expert. But more than that, I just like, I've had to do like a lot of work. I've had to learn to meditate. Depends on what it is that you will struggle with in general relationships, right? Like if you have finding jealousies cropping up in your monogamous relationship, probably going to crop up more, you have to learn the, the coping mechanisms for that. You have to learn some skills. So there's a lot of, like, self work, And obviously not everyone that does this is, like, some enlightened guru like that. Far from it. <laughs> <laughs> the people I know that have been yeah. doing this for years. Like, that's the thing that comes up a lot. It's like I just am a completely different type of person than when I started because I have to be.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely something that people in closed relationships can, you know, take a leaf out of the polyamorous book is, um, yeah, just before like what you were saying earlier about realizing that you're angry or realizing that you're sad and then you know look searching for the reasons as to why before reacting and before lashing out it's sort of if you are feeling jealous or you are feeling angry with your partner then sit with that and you know have some independence and 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 think about those reasons so yeah I think that's really interesting but um yeah thank you so much for joining the podcast this has been super enlightening and you've been a fantastic guest so yeah you'll have to let me know how that date goes in 2023
3: (laughs) yeah come back in a year's time for the catch-up yeah
2: (laughs) absolutely yeah thank you so much for joining me
3: Thank you so much for having me. I hope you
2: enjoyed my chat with the lovely Claire. Please let me know on my Instagram. It's at madsworld.mp3 or on my website, madsworld.co, if you have any stories or thoughts of your own to share. Love and elbow taps. Peace.